If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Today on the show, we dig into frugal fashion tips for men with Steve from stevenomics.com. He's a listener of the show, longtime listener, and an expert on how to express your sartorial self for less. First, though, sponsor of the day today is Audible. And I'm going to share with you a book recommendation, which would be an excellent book for you to own with your Audible subscription. The book is called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I first came across this book years ago in the bookstore, subsequently got the audio book, and it's a book I have returned to many times and recommended to many people. It's a very thick book, but it's divided into very short and pithy chapters, and it's one of the really excellent success books to go over and go through yourself. The audiobook version, as long as you get the unabridged one, is about 21 hours and 11 minutes. But what's beautiful about it is it's divided into short, pithy chapters. And this would be a good one to listen to a chapter a day. In the past, actually, with my family at one of our meals, I've gone through the success principles and read it to my family one chapter a day. If you haven't read it before, check out the book, The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Get it as your free first month download, which you can get at radicalaudiobooks.com. Sign up for a free subscription to Audible. You get one free audiobook. Make this your first one if you haven't read it. Go to radicalaudiobooks.com. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you so much for being here. If you're tuning in for the first time, this is the show where we talk about financial independence and living the good life, the rich life. Now, here's what you need to know. The pursuit of financial independence is not in contradiction to living the good life now. We support doing both of those wholeheartedly, and today we're going to talk about how. My guest today is a listener of the show. His name is Steve. He writes a blog at steveonomics.com. And as you'll hear in just a moment, as soon as I play the interview, he was a very earlier listener of Radical Personal Finance. Uh, but I think you're really going to benefit and value from some of his content today. He's going to share with you some ideas around how to build an excellent wardrobe for not much money. It's hard to – I guess I was going to say it's hard to overstate the importance, but looking great is very important. It'd be nice if people judged you like God judged you, which is just look just to look at the inside. But unfortunately, that's just not the facts. <laughs> people look at the outside. God looks at the inside. So today, let's talk about the outside. And I'm convinced that it's possible to live a rich life and express your fashion sense and uh, develop a wardrobe that's useful to you without breaking the buck. Break, without breaking the bank. And today, Steve's going to share with us some ideas. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the show where I'm going to share with you some things that are important for you to notice about Steve's story in and of itself to make sure that you're doing what he's doing. 
Steve, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you being with me today. No, Joshua, thanks for having me. So you're a listener of the show, longtime listener of the show. And as we begin, I just want to say thank you for your longtime, uh, not only listenership, but also patronage of the show. I have your, I received an email from you in the very beginning weeks of the show that was one of the emails that really encouraged me to uh, continue on with creating Radical Personal Finance. And I want to thank you for making the time to reach out to me and, uh, and, and encourage me when I was starting the show. So as a podcast host to a longtime listener, thank you very much. No, no problem. Yeah, you've been a big inspiration and really helped me with my, with my finances over the past uh, what is it? Are you are you going coming on a year now? It's been a year, yeah, since I started the show uh, full time. Yeah, been a year. Oh, awesome! So it's a it's an awesome uh, it's an awesome thing. And I, I mentioned that uh, I didn't tell you when we were chatting before I turned on the recording, but I mentioned that just to say that if there is uh, just as a reminder to the audience, if there is an independent media producer that you value their work, uh, send them an email, send them a note. Uh, those little notes of encouragement make a big difference. Many times in the independent media space, uh, it can feel often like you're just you're kind of putting information out there into the world without much feedback. So if there's somebody that you are appreciating the information, make sure you take the time to just uh, send them a note and let them know as those little things uh, pile up and mean a lot. So Steve, I've invited you on the show to talk about the topic of fashion and how to get a good bang for your buck. And one of the things that themes that's important to me is living frugally, pursuing financial independence. These things should not be at the cost of the good life. There's no reason exactly. to scrimp and save and do nothing and just live like a poor person so that someday you can live like a rich person. I don't approach life that way. Rather, in my mind, it's about pursuing the intelligent strategies that uh, pursuing intelligent strategies that you can use to live the good life now and live the good life later. So I'd like to start with maybe just introduce yourself a little bit and share with us a little bit about your own personal financial independence journey and your own goals and projects. Okay. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, I started you know reading the blogs. I um, saw Jacob Early Retirement Extreme, you know Mr. Money Mustache. Saw what they were doing. I was already pretty good at saving money, so it just kind of put a plan into place, uh, you know, for what I need to do. You know, following the four percent rule, seeing how much I need to save, how much I need to invest in order to eventually be financially free. And you know, uh, my views have kind of changed over the years. Before it was like, oh, I'm going to be financially independent, and I'm just going to lay on the beach with my wife, and then you know, like, well, you know what? That actually might be a little boring. So um, <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to uh, to making it to that goal through the years, but. Um, you know, plan to, to do a little bit of work as well. And, um, yeah, that's, um, that's how that's been. I did a lot of traveling after college, but now I'm working in uh, Silicon Valley, working in sales. So I always appreciate when you're, you're chatting about sales. I think it's a great profession for financial independence, especially if you're not on the engineering side, you didn't study engineering in, uh, in school. I know a lot of the, um, financial bloggers out there did. So I right. think it's another good, good path to, uh, to get there because, right. you know, the harder that you work, the more money you can make. So I really enjoy that. So I enjoyed your writing because – and this is also demonstrating one of the things that I continually talk about. You maintain a personal finance blog at steveonomics.com. I'll link in the, in the description in the show notes. But you're not a real active blogger. You're not – uh, dedicated to, uh, you're not, you know, you're not trying to become the next big mega personal finance blogger. You're just sharing a little bit about your experience. But what that allowed me to do as a media host was gain a little bit of insight into you and into who you are. And that's ultimately what's brought us forward, uh, to bringing you on the show today. 
in your blogging, before we get to fashion, I want you to talk about your wedding. And I'm springing this onto you because you wrote an mm-hmm. article about your wedding, of how you and your wife uh, built and designed a frugal wedding. And it became went viral basically on, I think, Huffington Post, if memory is right. Talk a little bit about how you and your wife planned for your wedding. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I was uh, I met my wife in, in Korea when I was teaching English over there. Um, you know, after doing some some traveling, we came over here. We decided we wanted to get married. But, you know, we were looking at the money in the bank and we were like, you know, this is probably better for a, a house down payment or something than one day. You know, what do you think? She <laughs> felt the same way. So, we're like, all right, how can we do this frugally? So, um, yeah, so we just started going at it. But luckily, my family, you know, was very helpful. You know, my uh, my aunt made a cake, you know, another family member made a you know, bouquet. Um, we ended up going to San Francisco City Hall. You know, it's a beautiful city hall. We got some great photos. I asked my um, my college friend, he's actually my big brother in my fraternity, to if he would, uh, you know, take some pictures because I knew he was um, a photographer. And, uh, you know, he, he did them on the house, which I was pretty surprised. I was willing to pay him some money, but that was, uh, you know, definitely very nice. And then, you know, we like uh, we like clothing as we're going to get into. So, um, you know, I ended up getting a, a tuxedo off of eBay, Brooks Brothers one. I got it altered a little bit, you know, got it for a quarter of the, the retail price. And, you know, my wife, she actually found a beautiful wedding dress at a at a thrift store. And I was a little hesitant because I'm like, you know, we like thrift stores, but your honey, your wedding dress doesn't have to be from a thrift store, you know. Right. But she put it on and it was perfect. And she's like, I love it. You know, and, like, I don't care what the price is. It's it's perfect for me. And it looked great on her. And, um, you know, so she picked it up and we, we went from there and, you know, our photos look good and we had a great day up in uh, San Francisco. I will make sure to link to the article so people can read the article with details and see some of the photos, but two comments. And the reason I sprang that on you, number one, I think the thrift store dress is an awesome example of being willing to spend money, but also knowing what you're looking for first and not looking just at a price tag. My wife and I actually did something similar with our wedding. We spent a lot more than the $1,000 that you did. But her dress was actually not a wedding dress. It was a bridesmaid's dress that she ordered in white. So when she was going around and looking at uh, uh, wedding dresses in all the the, the stores, uh, she didn't find one she liked, didn't find one she looked. And then she starts looking and sees this cute bridesmaid's dress, asks about it, was able to order it in white, uh, make a couple of alterations to it. And I think the price tag was something like $250. for it because it was a bridesmaid's dress instead of $1,000 or $2,000 because it was listed as a wedding dress. And it was just a neat example of how if you know what you're looking for, you don't have to judge it. Spending more money is not necessarily a virtue. Get what you want and spend the money you need to spend. Yeah, sometimes people just like to, you know, brag about how much it costs or something, but it's all about getting, you know, the best quality for for low prices to me. So And then did you more. use the savings for uh, for something fun instead of spending it on the wedding? No, I mean right now we're still just saving, so we're you know saving towards uh, financial independence. You know, maybe if uh, houses get a little cheaper out here in Silicon Valley, they're a little pricey right now. Right. You know, maybe we'll buy something in the future. So right. yeah, right now it's just um, you know tucked away safe. Well, the other thing, the other theme that I wanted to just mention is when talking about doing things like having a frugal wedding. In my mind, you can't beat something with nothing. And so often the decision criteria that people have, I know that I struggled with it when I when my wife and I were planning our wedding was the fact that well, you know, I want to provide the best. I want to provide the best for my mm-hmm. family. I want my wife to know how much I care about her. I want it, you know, the day to be very special. 
And so if you're looking at saving money on a big event like that, and if your comparison is between, I want to provide the best, I want to provide a very special day, or I'm just going to do this frugal cheap thing and be a financial bum and everyone's going to look at me and say, can't that person spend some money? Well, generally, we're going to, <laughs> we're going to make the decision to say, I'm going to provide the best. But if we expand the definition of what providing the best is, and let's say that we're a young couple, we're financing everything ourselves, parents aren't stepping in. And if the question is between, okay, we could spend $30,000 on one special day, or we could spend $5,000 on a special day and put $25,000 on a down payment on a house, or perhaps for some people, we could spend $1,000 on a special day, and then we could take the next year off. And instead of having a one-week rushed forced honeymoon because we spent all the money on the day to get all our friends drunk on our dime – Rather, we're going to go travel the world together for the next year and have a one-year honeymoon. All of a sudden now, you're not taking something and trying to beat it with nothing. You're not trying to take, oh, special day versus, uh, you know, I'm a cheap jerk. Rather, you're saying, I'm going to take something and I'm going to substitute something better that's more in line with our life goals. And I like how you bring that out in your article and also in your other writings on fashion, where it's not about cheap versus crappy. It's cheap versus inexpensive and better. Exactly. Yeah. And as far as traveling, I mean, we met in Korea, we went to, you know, 12 countries in Asia. We, you know, we lived in Australia for a year. So we were already, you know, we were kind of tired of traveling a little bit. So we're like, you know, we're going to take it easy. We're going to go, you know, up, uh, up to San Francisco. And we went to Tahoe for our honeymoon. So we kept it local. We had a family friend let us uh, stay in her cabin you know, free of charge, old family friends. So, you know, you got to use those connections and never had, uh, you know, necessarily the money connections, but, you know, people are always willing to lend a helping hand. So it's good to use your network. So let's jump into fashion. You're a bit of a fashionista and yet you also <laughs> consider yourself a, a frugal financial independence oriented guy. How do these two things, how are they able to coexist? You know, I think, uh, you know, if you have a list of, I, I make a list of things that I want to buy and I just wait, you know, I, I make, I'm very patient, make sure I get the best deal on it, make sure I really love it. You know, I don't, I'm not very um, good at spontaneous buys, you know, outside of maybe groceries or something like that. Everything's very methodical and planned out. You know, um, have you heard the saying good, fast, cheap, you know, pick two. Right. So, you know, I don't necessarily need it fast. I, after a while you kind of have everything. So, um, yeah, I, th I just think you can have both and you can dress really well for you know, surprisingly not very much money, especially if you kind of know what you're looking for. Do you approach fashion as something that is just purely a hobby that you enjoy, perhaps an expression of uh, a creative part of yourself, or do you approach it from a utilitarian perspective of, as an example, I'm going to raise other people's perceptions around me by being a well-dressed person? <laughs> I don't know, maybe a little of both. I mean, I, I like to, to dress well, but I think it's fun to be a little bit of uh, creative. As far as you know, I think everybody kind of needs their own personal style, like, uh, outs, you know, I'm in California, it's a little warm here. So, but outside of summer, I'm usually wearing a, a sweater, um, to the office. The office is always cold. So that's kind of my own little, like personal, um, you know, personal piece of fashion. So, you know, they see me, oh, Steve, you're the, you're the guy wearing the, you know, the cool sweater. So that's kind of my little fun thing. So I think it's a, it's a cool way to be creative, whether it's, you know, the pocket square, or a tie or some fun socks or something like that. So, um, you know, you get kind of boring if you do the same thing every day. So I'm looking at an empty closet and I'm looking at a bank uh, balance that I know I need to buy some clothes, but I want to be careful and make good decisions. 
Where do I start with outlining a blueprint for the things that should be in my closet? Well, I mean, I guess it depends a little bit on on where you work. Say, um, we're a little casual here, but you know, you want to wear button ups and and pants. As far as button ups for me, I'm kind of an awkward size. I'm a 15 and a half neck, but I'm kind of uh, thin with long arms. So it's actually really tough for me to find a you know 15 and a half by 35 shirt. So to be honest, I I go to the Brooks Brothers sale. Um, and at the end of June, it just happened. And at the end of uh, December, 40% off shirts. I pick up a few shirts there. Um, you know, go to the mall, check out, you know, five, six stores all at all within an hour, try on all the pants, see which ones you like the most, you know, and wait for the, you know, 30 to 50% off sale. That's what I would do for, for that because thrift stores, you have to be a little bit more patient. You're not going to go in there. You're not going to find a Navy suit, you know, your first try. Um, thrift stores, I would say are, are more fun for adding to your collection, make a list of, of things you would like. And then, you know, go in there and, and browse, but don't expect to come up with, um, you know, some Savile Row suits that, you know, the prince, <laughs> you know, donated. What's the most number of years of service you've gotten out of a Brooks Brothers button-down shirt? Um, I have some that I bought two or three years ago. I just bought a few more. They actually, <laughs> I've been uh, I've been exercising a lot. So actually, the extra slim fit are getting kind of, uh, <laughs> are, they're, they're shrinking and I'm growing a little bit. I'm getting a little stronger. So I went with the regular slim fit this time because nice. they're, they're getting a little snug. But the quality is still there. I just, uh, I guess it's, it, they shrunk a little bit. So I'd recommend air drying <laughs> all your shirts. When I was in college, I had a the reason I say that is just because my Brooks Brothers story. When I was in college, I had a business uh, a boss that uh, it was kind of a mentor, and uh, I needed some clothes, and so he trotted me down to the Brooks Brothers store, and we bought a few Brooks Brothers shirts, button-down shirts, and I bought the one that I most remember was just a blue Oxford, a blue long-sleeve Oxford. I bought it, so that would have been about two thousand and perhaps two thousand and five, and I wore that shirt multiple times per week for approximately five or six years. And what I loved about it, I loved to travel with it because I could wear it in every single context where I would, you know, I could wear it with a suit and tie. I could wear it with jeans, uh, you know, taking the suit off, toss it on with a pair of shorts. And sometimes I'd wear it to the beach and it was, it didn't wrinkle, it lasted for years. And that convinced me of the value of, at times, paying for quality when there's quality associated. Uh, how do you approach quality versus cost when it comes to clothing? Well, I'm willing to, uh, you know, I'm making a little more money now, so I guess I'm willing to, you know, splurge a little bit more for for quality. But, you know, if you're patient, I think you can get the, you know, the good stuff for cheap as well. I was in a San Francisco thrift thrift store, and I ended up getting, you know, three of the Brooks Brothers shirts, actually in my size, in dry cleaning bags, and that was, you know, probably the best, um, <laughs> you know, time I ever bought shirts. I was pretty happy about that. Um, recently, I got a. Uh, shot racer it's a leather jacket and i've been wanting this thing for years and i wrote about it a little bit i had a you know i talked about your alpha strategy that that you mentioned john pugsley the author Mm -hmm. so i've been you know i wanted to finish my outerwear collection so i really wanted this jacket and then about 800 dollars new so it's it's pretty expensive so i was scouring ebay and you know i needed a 38 long i got the long arms so I finally, uh, I finally found it, and I was, you know, willing to pay a little bit more for that. I wasn't gonna, you know, I wasn't expecting to get that for fifty dollars like I would maybe at a thrift store. So I paid a little bit more for that. So it's, it's definitely worth it if you really need it. I mean, I highly recommend the list. Um, make the list, go through the list, and just, uh, just wait for for the perfect deal. And don't just, you know, buy things. You're like, oh, it's a fun polka dot shirt. You're like, do I need this polka dot shirt? Am I gonna wear this polka dot shirt? Every time I wear it, everybody's gonna remember it. It's a lot better probably to wear a, a blue or a white shirt. 
The Just to re- refresh people who may not have heard when I've talked about the alpha strategy in the past, the idea is in order to avoid the damaging effects of changing currency valuations, especially inflation, if you can simply buy everything that you need for the rest of your life, then you can avoid having to pay more for things in the future. So there are some things that are obviously consumable. You can't buy all of the raisin brand that you're going to need for the rest of your life because it'd be stale in a couple of months. But there are some things that are durable goods where you can go ahead and make a careful decision. And by buying something once or stockpiling something today, you will probably never need to purchase it again in the future, which means that you've converted uh, financial assets, which are subject to the effects of inflation, into durable goods, which are not subject to the effects of inflation. And Clothing, in my mind, is one of the good places where you can apply this to some extent. Uh, what is the longest – like what are some of the, the clothing items that you've had where it's kind of the buy it for life concept where you've bought it and it's lasted for an incredibly long amount of time where it was worth paying for high quality? Um, I would say you know, outerwear and shoes are, um, are definitely good for that. I mean you can buy, like I said, leather jacket. Maybe military pea coats are good to buy at a thrift and vintage store. Um, you know, London fog trench coats, wool overcoats, um, Harris tweed sport coats. And, you know, I would recommend putting them in a bag so that, you know, moths don't eat the wool. But outerwear, I think, is, is great for that. Also, shoes, you get the Goodyear welt, meaning um, you can actually, it's sewn, the bottom is sewn to the upper. So if it starts to wear, you can actually replace the entire sole. Um, I recommend brands like Alden, Allen Edmonds, and the vintage Florsheim Imperials. Those are all made in USA. They're made, uh, you know, really strong and it's pretty cool when if something goes wrong, you take it to the cobbler, they fix it up. I recently had a couple pairs of shoes where the heels um, split, and I just take it to the cobbler, and they can either glue it or sew it, and it's it's pretty inexpensive. And I think those, I mean, I've I've had them maybe five years. I've been wearing them, you know, off and on, and they've been fine for that. But I imagine I'm going to keep them, you know, ten, twenty years plus. You just get them polished up, put in shoe trees. So I think, um, yeah, shoes and outerwear definitely great for that. And those can also be found at a great price, assuming you're um, you're patient. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Shoes, especially for years with the dress shoes. Once I learned that trick, then I switched to making sure to buy dress dress to me dress shoes that could be resold, and then consistently just resoling them from time to time uh, mm-hmm. makes a big difference as far as not just looking at the upfront cost, but rather looking at the total lifetime cost amortized out over a period of time. And then even you know, Allen Edmonds. I mean, you're going to pay three hundred. I mean, 300 plus bucks if you're getting it new without getting a deal on a pair of shoes. But sometimes, in my experience, even other types of shoes, if you just think about it, if you don't impulse purchase something uh, and you just do a little research and do a little bit of thinking about it, you can buy a pair of shoes that can last you for a lifetime. I have a couple, I have two pairs, and I wound up uh, when I was in high school, I went to a high school that required uniforms and uniform shoes. And at that time, Doc Martens were quite fashionable. And so I bought a pair of black, uh, just Doc Martin shoes, black leather shoes, which were intended for, uh, to, to wear with my uniform. That was in 2000, uh, it would have been 1999, excuse me, 98 that I bought those shoes. I still have them and I still wear them occasionally. And they're not quite as fashionable as they were back in the 90s, but they're perfectly functional, serviceable shoes, and I wore them every day for four years all through middle school and high school. And then beyond that, I've continued to wear them routinely, and they've lasted for years. And just that convinced me of not necessarily buying you – know, 
at that time, again, this is I'm dating myself here with the brands, but at that time I had previously purchased some Skechers shoes, uh, a Skechers brand. They fell apart in a year or two, but the Doc Martens brand, which were twice the cost, have lasted for almost 20 years. And in my mind, as long as the price that's associated with the brand is connected to quality and is not exclusively associated with the image of the brand, it can be a really valuable way to go for extending the value of your dollars. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, don't worry about dating yourself. I think we're about the same age. So <laughs> I remember those brands as well. Yeah, I think the the best way to buy clothing where, uh, you know, it's not going to go out of style. Look at Don Draper's shoes and, and buy something right. that looks a little similar in the some of the brands that I mentioned. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is true. If you go when I was in when I was younger, I would read all these books on on style for men. And that is the reality is, although maybe perhaps the size of the lapel changes a little bit from time to time. You can pretty much go with some standard fashions, and they haven't changed much in 50 or 100 years, uh, unless you're at the cutting edge, in which case they're changing every season because we got to extend the lapel an inch or (laughs) or cut it down or (laughs) widen the tie or skinny the tie up. But you can, with a little bit of thought, you can have some fashions, uh, some some fashion that will stand the test of time. What other uh, ideas and tips do you have uh, regarding how to get the best bang for your buck? Um, I would recommend finding a good seamstress because when you go uh, to buy vintage and thrift clothes, you know, they might not fit perfectly, but you have to know what you can alter, what you can't alter. You know, a shirt you can take in the body, no problem. You can take in the sleeves, no problem. On a suit, you know, if if the shoulders are off, you're not going to be able to do anything. But a lot of times you can lengthen the sleeve or shorten the sleeve. Um, You know, of course, you can hem pants and take in pants. Um, It always cracks me up when people say, oh, the waist is perfect, but the pants are too long. You know, one, you could probably figure out how to how to hem them yourself or have a family member that can hem them or you can just, you know, pay a seamstress ten dollars they can take up those pants for you. So I think finding a good seamstress is, is very helpful. Um, you know, and that'll help uh, you know, clothing last a test of time, especially with suits. Um you know, I would recommend I recently read a really good book, a tidying up book. I know it's become pretty popular right now, and I got rid of a lot of things after reading that. You know, you need to purge your closet. If it doesn't bring you joy, if it doesn't bring you happiness, if if you're not wearing it regularly, you know, just get rid of it, donate it. I like to give back to the you know thrift stores that I buy from already. It's like a you know the circle of life. It's some of the stuff so cheap. It's like I'm renting it for free anyways. So then I uh, you know I give it back to them. Yeah, it, it's it makes all the difference in the world if you have. Uh, we live in an age where we <laughs> more is not necessarily how you dem- demonstrate wealth. Things have gotten so cheap that it's almost much harder to have fewer things than it is to have more things. And it's a lot more satisfying to have five shirts that you rotate through and that you love and wear each of them, for me anyway, than to have 30 shirts of which I actually like three. Yeah, absolutely. And that's recently what I did. And it feels so much better. And I ended up getting some new shirts, but, you know, I got rid of more than I than I just purchased. So, yeah, it feels good to just be able to, hey, I can wear any of these shirts, you know, assuming it matches my pants and my shoes and, uh, you know, not have to worry about it. And there's not any shirts that I, you know, absolutely hate wearing. So that's always a, a great feeling. As far as, you know, going to thrift stores, 
a lot of them, they're kind of in clusters together. Like uh, I really, you know, anybody up in Northern California, I really like San Francisco, the Mission District. You know, they'll have 10 thrift stores and they're all right connected to each other. And you can, you know, you can spend the whole day just walking through the different shops and you're going to find some pretty cool stuff, some pretty cool donations. So recommend, you know, doing the cluster, doing the rounds. One of my uncles, he likes uh, thrift store shopping as well. And my wife does too. So sometimes the whole family will drive through. We're in San Jose. So we'll go to four or five and they're just kind of in a, in a circle. So, you know, you check them all out. And, uh, you know, just be picky because say your favorite item is a 10 out of 10. Don't buy anything that's lower than like a 7 out of 10 because you're not going to wear it. Even if it's a good deal, it's a good brand. Oh, I love this brand. Oh, but it's a, you know, it's a size 32 waist and I'm, I'm kind of a 33, 34 now. You know, you're not going to wear it. You're not, you, you know, if you're trying to lose the weight, you might. But it's better just to, you know, buy your current size and, you know, make sure that you love it coming out the gate. Not have to do, you know, tons of alterations to it and stuff like that. Are there places that you or resources that you would suggest? Uh, it's hard, a little bit hard in an audio format to talk about how to discern the quality of one suit over another, or how to discern the quality of a pair of pants that you get from H&M versus a pair of pants that you get from Brooks Brothers. But are there resources, websites, books, uh, YouTube channels that you find to be particularly helpful on that subject? Yeah, absolutely. When I first got into it, I was reading them all. I think my favorite book is called Gentleman. It's by a journal. Uh, I'm sorry, a German man. I can't remember his name. I think it's Bernard, perhaps. But you can find that pretty easily on Amazon. Probably be about thirty dollars. So, gentlemen, that's a great book. As far as websites, I've been reading this website. Put this on for a long time. Um, there's one website called where the guy he only shops at thrift stores. Oh, an affordable wardrobe, and he only shops at thrift stores. He talks about all the quality and. It's it's pretty interesting, and his title is something like you know being poor is no excuse <laughs> for you know dressing dressing poorly. So um, I enjoy that website. There's another one. He changed the name a couple times. It was the Style Blogger, and now I think it's Articles of Style. That's a little more high end, but he started out with really uh, really basic tips. But I think those websites are pretty good in that that book as well, as far as figuring out quality. What's next on your outline there? Um, I'd say like for eBay and Etsy. Those are for things you specifically um, want. You know the exact size. You know that's the the jean jacket in a 38 long. You know you need that exact one. You're not going to go to a thrift store and just find it. I think the thrift store is great for perusing. You have your list. You're looking for you know some some cool items, but don't expect to find them all the time. Um, but if you need a specific item, you know eBay or Etsy, I think are um, are the way to go. For me, that, the internet helps a lot because you know I'm a 17 and a half, 37, which yeah. is an unusual size for shirt. Uh, you can find 35 inch sleeves all day long, but if I want my sleeves to fit properly, it's 37. So the internet helps a ton. I almost never find something that I can wear <laughs> at a thrift store. <laughs> I basically give up. Same thing with shoe size. I, I'm a size 16 shoe, so yeah. the way that I shoe, shoe shop is I walk into the store and ask the ask the clerk do you have anything in a size 16 they go in the back and they come out and they say nope and i go out of the store <laughs> but the internet has been a real boon for oddly shaped people like me <laughs> yeah i mean even me is at 35 you can find but then the neck will be 16 16 and a half so then right. the, you know if i wear a tie it's going to look funny so it's it's kind of hard you know especially with kind of the fast fashion brands which they're doing medium so medium will be my next size and then the sleeve will be you know 33 so mm -hmm. it's like well i can guess i can wear this with a sweater but you know again it'll be brand you know say it's brand new for a hundred dollars like i'm gonna pay a hundred dollars for a shirt that doesn't fit perfectly you know no thanks I'll, I'll wait for a sale or you know when i was living in asia i got a lot of things custom made so that was kind of nice because still pretty cheap um i was going i was just going through some of the, the clothing so i mentioned the outerwear and 
the shoes are great for um, for thrift stores. Also, I you know I love sweaters. I'd mention that you know look for wool and cashmere. Um, you know, double check for holes, hold it up to the light. You know, actually, my favorite sweater is um, is navy in color. It's you know it was woven in the United Kingdom. You know, and it was about fifteen dollars at a vintage store. And actually, my cousin she was teasing me. She was like, "You're gonna pay fifteen dollars for a used sweater? That's kind of a lot." And I was like, "But it's perfect and it's navy and you know I need this color." And I got in that. Now I wear that thing all the time. So, um, you know, you can you can find some great deals out there. And yeah, shirts I usually buy new. Pants they can be slimmed or hemmed. So, um, you know, once you find out what brands you like the most, whether you know Gap, J Crew, uh, Brooks Brothers, or you know whatever you decide you like, then you can just you know look look for them at the thrift store. Look for the plain uh, khakis and you know pick those up. You're a watch aficionado. What's the deal with your interest in watches? they're cool (laughs) no i don't know i like looking what goes into the watches so you just look at all the craftsmanship you know these are handmade in one shop in in switzerland you look at all the pieces that go into it and it's just something that i can really appreciate you know how much uh time and effort was put into to building you know such a device versus you know digital watches are going to be a little bit more accurate but you know it's not quite as um you know, I don't, I don't know. It's not quite as exciting. I like the old craftsmanship. You know, I always like, I always like vintage things. I like the, you know, the classic styles that aren't going to go out of fashion. Is there actually any functional difference between less expensive watches and more, and higher priced watches? Um, so the movements, the movements can be um, a lot more complicated. You know, some of these companies they're just completely reinventing the movements, but. You know, you can you can go down the rabbit hole, and you can spend a lot of money on watches. So you got to be careful. It's not the best for um, someone trying to reach financial independence. That's that's the point I'm at. I got a uh, I got an old Omega Seamaster a few years back off of Etsy from an antique store, and you know I love that thing. And it wasn't it wasn't too expensive, but now I'm looking at Rolexes, and you look at Patek Philippe's, and you start you know going up and up, and you're like, wait, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand for a watch? Like I should probably. Uh, you know, get out of here. I should, I should stop looking at these beautiful instruments. Have you ever successfully made money with any of your knowledge with watches or, or, uh, fashion flipping any item of clothing that you find underpriced and finding the right buyer for it? You know, I did for a while. Um, when I came back from Australia, I wasn't working at the time. I was kind of, uh, you know, hanging out for a few months. I started to apply for jobs casually and I would go to uh, thrift stores, you know, get the Harris tweed, um, you know, sport coat that didn't fit me. And, you know, I'd get it for five bucks and I'd put it on Etsy and sell it for $40. But after a while, it just got kind of tiring. And then once I started working, I just realized that the opportunity cost wasn't quite there. Right now I have, excuse me, a lot of, um, a lot of clothing I've been meaning to, to sell. And then now it's getting to the, and it's at my, it's at my parents' house right now. And now I'm starting to think, you know what, I can make some money on this, but how long is it going to take me to sell? And how much, you know, what time is it worth to make, you know, 500 or a thousand dollars selling this? So now I'm just starting to think I might just donate it, but you know, it can be done. I know I've seen people that do it. They go and they buy a suit. It's not in their size or they buy some nice shoes, not in their size. And then they just sell them. See, I got a pair of Aldens, one of the most beautiful pairs of loafers I've ever I've ever picked up at a thrift store and you know, these shoes are, you know, four or $500 new. I think I got them for under 10. So I, I have them. They're, you know, way too small. It's like nine and a half. I'm, I'm soon 11. Um, but I was like, Oh, I'll just, I'll sell them. You know, I can get a hundred bucks for these on eBay. And my uh, brother-in-law came, came down from our, for our wedding. 
And he brought some sneakers, and my wife was like, what do you mean you're wearing, you know, I know our wedding's casual, but you can't wear sneakers to our wedding. Uh, so I was like, hey, why don't you try on these shoes? They fit him perfectly. So, you know, I gave those to him. So he was pretty happy. He has some nice pair of uh, a dress shoes. It's definitely interesting because the things that you get so excited about at a certain point in your life, the ability to make 10 bucks on a transaction mm-hmm. at a later point in your life, it just becomes not worth the time invested. But if you weren't paying attention to those things, it's almost the principle of it. If you weren't paying attention to it, you probably wouldn't have gotten to the point where you could, your time was worth more. <laughs> so I always hate to diminish the value of saying, okay, yeah, you can find this little thing here for $7 and you can turn around and sell it for 40 uh, because that's what ultimately leads on for the ability for you to find a value of something priced at 700000 and know that if I can connect this with the right market, it'll be worth a million four <laughs> and you make the spread. Uh, so I love to encourage that and I love how different people can research a market, find something out and learn in that market, whether it's selling fountain pens online or whether it's flipping classic shoes or figuring out how to deal in watches. It's all commerce. It's all buy and sell. And we can learn the lessons of successful investing no matter where we are. Yeah, I agree. The principles are very important because my wife and I, I mean, we we got into the early retirement community reading the blogs and you know, talking to different people in it. We got pretty hardcore and we were, you know, cutting out everything. And then after a while, it's like, all right, let's have a little fun. And then once you started making more money and we're still spending about the same, it's like, you know, we don't really have to have to stress anymore about this because uh, the principles are in place where, you know, rent, cars, food, those are going to be your three most expensive things. We have those in check where they're always, you know, very cheap. So, you know, if we want to eat out every now and then, that's going to be fine because, yeah, the principles are in place. So, you know, we're on track. If anything, you know, it's uh, more important probably just to make more money because there's not a lot of things that we can cut at this point. Right. Right. You go through phases and, and at one phase, the big wins are, uh, with, well, at one phase in life, the big wins are the short term wins are cutting expenses, but you get quickly to a point if you're good at it to where the marginal benefit, the, the overall benefit of a small marginal decrease in expenditure is not nearly as great as the marginal benefit of putting effort into earning. Uh, and, Short-term, long-term, that's what I love about finance and uh, what I appreciate you bringing that out because it's not that it's anything is right or wrong. It's a matter of what phase am I in with this particular aspect of my financial life. Yeah, absolutely. Any other tips on your outline there? Uh, I think we pretty much you know, covered it. Um, I would say, you know, just really focus on the classics, focus, focus on your personal uniform, what you like to wear. You know, this isn't a costume contest. You know, a lot of times at the vintage stores, you get the, you know, like a leopard print coat, like when are, you know, when are you going to wear that? Um, you know, things like that. Like if I'm going to wear something fun, it'll be, you know, say I wear a fun sport coat, but then I'm going to wear a plain shirt or I wear a fun pocket square. So I'm going to wear a a plain tie. So that would be, you know, one of the tips, you know, focus on the classics. Think, you know, 10, 20 years down the road when you're looking at pictures, you know, because there's always going to be pictures out there now with, uh, with all the social media. You know, are you going to be embarrassed that your pants were, you know, so tight that, you know, you can see your change or something, you know, or they're, they're so short, you can see your whole sock. So, you know, try to think a little bit long term and realize, wait, is this fast fashion or is this going to, you know, stay in style for a long time? Last question for you, Steve. You enjoy your you, you indulge your fashionista, ten, fashionista tendencies, but you also ride a bike to work. Is that right? Do you still do that? 
You know, I recently switched jobs, so I don't because I, I work so early in the morning that Got there's it. no traffic. So uh, I'd prefer just to, to drive there because I can get to work in, you know, about 15 to 20 minutes. So, But how were uh, you doing there, that when you were actually riding a bike? Well, when I was, it was about the same distance, but in a different direction, but I worked at a later time. So um, it was taking about, you know, 40 minutes to ride my bike there, but it would take, you know, 25 to 45 minutes to drive there depending on the traffic so i did enjoy riding the bike and then you know that was another thing i wasn't even saving a ton of money i drive in you know an older japanese car it's not that much to maintain gas is really isn't that high but you know it kind of it helped out because i would listen to your podcast or other podcasts while i was riding listen to ebooks i was getting my exercise in. i was learning and i was saving money so it's a great you know trifecta of things to do. So I still enjoy um, riding my bike on occasion. I'll, I'll ride downtown. I'll ride around the city. But as far as going to work now, now I just drive just because you know it's so quick. No traffic, and I'm getting up pretty early most days. So yeah. I need I need a little more sleep. <laughs> Understood. That's the priority. Understood. Well, Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show. I I love when I can profile not only a listener but uh, just the little things that uh, everyday people can do. And I really was looking forward to bringing you on uh, to just share as one friend to a few others some of the tips and ideas of how you can indulge a specific interest without necessarily sacrificing the overall goals of financial independence. So I appreciate your coming on today. All right, Joshua. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you found some of that information to be useful and inspiring. As we go today, I want to... Make sure that you notice a couple of interesting things about Steve's story. And here, I want you to recognize the importance of how he actually wound up on the show. And the reason he wound up on the show is because he has a website. It's a very simple website. Check it out at steveonomics.com. But it's beautiful. And he has a couple of interesting articles listed there on the website. And the reason that's important is... Steve's site is not popular. And Steve, I'm not insulting you. I'm just stating it's not popular. You're, you'd be the first to say that. First thing you should do anytime you're thinking about a website and wanting to find out how popular it is, go to Alexa.com and type it in. Steve's Alexa rank is 2.8 million globally. This is essentially invisible on a global basis. And he doesn't actually publish that many blog uh, articles. He publishes, it looks like, I would say, one a month. That's his standard posting rate is one a month. But the reality is he's got a dozen or two articles, you know, a few dozen articles there, and that brought him to my attention. So instead of being another – just a name, which many of you who listen to the show who write me emails, I thank you for doing that. But you're just a name because don't, you don't have a site that I can – that's linked in the signature of your website. Steve is more than a name. He's a name and a website. And then obviously I could go to his website. I can read a little bit about him. I could get a sense of who he is. Even though it's not intensely personal, he doesn't have a lot of personal pictures on there, I could get a sense of who he is. Now here's my question for you. And I'm going to kill the music here for a moment. Do you have a website? Do you? If not, you need to. You need to. And... uh going to be launching a website sponsor here soon but go to get a wordpress site get something it should be self-hosted but you need a website because this is the thing that's going to happen to you you need an online presence and you don't need to be the next top you know hundred thousand sites in the u.s but you need a site to back you up with the right person the right prospective employer the right interviewer the right person <laughs> the right potential spouse i, I don't know you need a site to back you up. Uh, so 
make sure that if you don't have a site that you go and do that. It's extremely, extremely important. And Steve's winding up on radical personal finance today is a perfect indication of why. If you don't have a personal website of some kind, go get one today. I should be launching right as I say this. The website sponsor, trying to get Squarespace to sponsor the show. Squarespace is awesome. I'm convinced of the value of there. Um, I've got a WP Engine. Look for in the in the. I've switched to WP Engine. Get use my WP Engine affiliate link. It's a waste. I shouldn't waste the opportunity to plug a website manufacturer. Anyway, I ran out of music. I'm out. Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please become a patron of the show. Go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron or make sure that you go – just use some of our affiliate links. That will uh, create commissions from me, which will be hugely helpful. Go to RadicalAudiobooks.com, download the Success Principles by Jack Canfield or use the affiliate link for WP Engine, which will be in the description for this show. Cheers, y'all. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.